Hey guys. Metaray co-founder Andrew Kraus here. We are going to do a full hour of Q&A. Um, if you guys could type in yes, if you can hear me, that would be great. Let me know. I got my microphone more up here now, so hopefully it's not echoing and you got good, good sound quality. Um, so we're going to do a whole hour of Q&A on licensing, which means to rent or lease your idea to a large company. And when I say rent or lease, because if they don't perform, you're going to get it back. You never sell your patent or sell your idea. Um, that's what licensing is. They've got to perform. Otherwise, you can take it back. Doesn't mean you will. means you have the right to. Okay. Um, and then basically it's all their money, their workforce, and their distribution. So you don't need to raise money. You don't need to hire employees. You don't need venture vulture capital. You don't need any of that stuff. Uh, when you're licensing. Thank you guys for confirming. Um, all right, so let's get going. Uh, answer to Ben's question is yes. Uh, my two cents says, Rick, here in my mind, I keep thinking about my product video has to look like a polished TV commercial. No, not at all. Um, with great pictures, great sound and music, how are the average product videos? Um, a lot of our students do you know, a, a product video could be literally a series of still images. Sometimes we'll have people, they'll go, they'll hire a freelancer. Um, and, you know, some, you get a freelancer, a voiceover guy on Fiverr for 30 bucks. And a video doesn't have to be moving images. It could be a series of still images, narration, could be just captions. It could be a lot of different things, but it doesn't have to be um, a moving video. Uh, sometimes it's a combination of moving video and a uh, and still images. So um, sometimes it's just you holding your product up and just shooting all the way through. Sometimes you got to do a little editing, but you don't need to be um, a movie producer because the whole thing is going to be under thirty or sixty seconds, right? Sometimes people do videos and that is a replacement for a sell sheet, and sometimes our students will do a sell sheet, which is a one page PDF, um, which is like an advertising piece for your product. And then there'll be a click here button where it will link to an unlisted YouTube video where you can watch the video. And that's not going to everything in the sell sheet, but it's a nice supplement to the sell sheet. So sometimes our students do a sell sheet. Sometimes they do a sell sheet and a video, and sometimes they do um, just a video. So to answer your question, does it need to be super polished? No, it needs to be polished in that the marketing is good, just like a sell sheet. So it needs to be direct to the point, no rambling. No, hi, my name is Bob and I came up with an invention and my family says it's okay, don't do that. But also um, know if you have a good voice, know if you're camera ready. You, you don't, it could be pretty simple. I mean, you're not on the camera. It's just showing the picture and you're good. Your voice is good enough to narrate it and you do it yourself. And you just do it in iMovie on the Mac or some program on the PC. You've never edited a video before, but you you learn it. You spend an hour or two and you're like, oh, this isn't that hard. Because you're just piecing together three different pieces, for example, that you shot. You shot it in little 10-second clips and you put it together, right? Um, so it's not that it needs to be very refined. It just needs to be good marketing, if that makes any sense. Um, I've seen some pretty crude ones. I'll give you an example. Mike, he's mentioned this. He licensed this guy. 
and it's for putting um, uh, hanging picture frames on the wall, and it, it pushes the nails in. You, you push on this, it pushes the nails in. He spent a ton of money on a professional advertisement, and then he recorded one with his wife where they just shot it all the way through. He doesn't even use the professional one because the one he did here has had more success. Um, and I, I think that because he licensed it, but I think he gave the video to the manufacturer and then that's the one they use. I forget the one that he did with his wife, just shooting it on his iPhone. So don't feel like you need to have a TV commercial. That's not true at all. Even if you're doing a DRTV product, you can kind of shoot it like a DRTV spot, a short 30, 45 second spot, but it doesn't need to be that refined, but it's got the benefit. It's got the before and after. It's got, it's telling a story and it's showing the benefit. So don't feel guys like these need to be, you know, absolutely fantastic. Um, they need to be fantastic in the marketing, but they don't need to be super, super refined like an ad you would see on TV. Okay. Miss um, Tish says, happy Monday, Andrew and all on purpose. Great. I love it when you say that. It's uh, really cool. Uh, my two cents, who's a regular, can you talk about how perfectionism can get in the way along the path to licensing your idea? Yeah. Um, you know, so for example, um, uh, Rick was talking about earlier, um, Rick or my two cents was that was his question before about the, the, the infomercial, uh, the little mm, video sell sheet as we call it. Um, so if you felt like that have to be perfect, you can really hold your back, hold yourself back. Um, people will be perfectionists. I've seen people obsess over provisional patents. People obsess over their sell sheet. That's an important one. If you're going to get obsessed about something, your sell sheet or your video is something to be obsessed that it looks, um, that it really gets the point across. It doesn't need to be perfect, but it needs to get the point across. Basically, if somebody looks at it, they need to get it if it's a sell sheet in six seconds. And if it's a video, you don't want to lose them in the first 10 or 15 seconds. So it needs to be very direct and to the point. Um, being afraid, being a perfectionist, being worried about making a phone call that you're going to say it just right. That's another part that place may hurt you. Um, being worried like, oh, I can't get on LinkedIn because... I don't have um, a perfect profile. We'll just make it a little bit better. Take the time to fix it up. Um, don't get too obsessed about it. And um, so, yeah, perfectionism can really, really kill you there. Um, it definitely can. Um, you know, I, I used to be a perfectionist. Um, oddly enough, Stephen actually told me one time he used to be a perfectionist too. I think um, just shipping something when it's like 80 or 90%, um, is important. Very, very important. Um, you can always find another reason not to move forward. Uh, so now I also see people that are the opposite of perfectionists. Like they have horrendous marketing materials, all the right, wrong people in the company. They're throwing money at patent attorneys. They're, they're just like, they're trying to just push forward really fast, but they're doing everything wrong. Um, so what, but once you know the right way to do things and then, you know, you got to do it. Right. Um, but I see people that are the opposite of perfectionists. They're, they're sloppy. They don't think things through. They don't get help when they need it. And, and then their marketing materials are wrong. The companies are wrong. The way they're approaching companies are wrong. 
the PPA sucks, um, everything sucks, <laughs> you know? And, and I see people are on the other side of it too. And it's like, wow, you're just flailing about, like who told you to do it that way? And it's like, they're like, well, I, I think it makes sense. I'm like, no, it makes no sense. We've been doing this for 22 years. That makes no sense. Um, Roaming Tardis or Market goes by Marcus. That's their real name. Can a company see your PPA if you submit the number to them? I saw a portal on a company website ask for this, but did not ask for a description of the product. Um, that's interesting. So he's saying he saw a portal on some company's website that asked, they're asking for a patent number. Um, and that that's, a, that's basically a red flag, guys. Not a red flag, they're going to steal your idea or anything like that. A red flag, like, what what's what are you going to learn from a patent? Like patents are terrible marketing tools. If somebody says send me the patent, they have to sit there for 10 minutes, 20 minutes trying to figure out what would the marketing be on this? What is the real benefit of this product? Because none of that's in a patent. It's just stupid. You know, it's just absolutely ridiculous when a company says just put your patent number. They're just basically they're idiot. They're idiots because I want to know the marketing. I want to know what the product is. And if they just want to know the patent number, what it doesn't tell you anything, you know, they're not going to take the time to go through that patent to figure out if this is a good product to be marketed. And quite often it's hard to tell from the patent. Um, but getting more specifically back to Marcus's question, um, can you see your PPA if you submit the number to them? Um, technically they could, if they were extremely unethical, this is, don't quote me on this, but this is, if they reached out to the patent office pretending to be you to get some information, I guess it's possible, I don't know, but no, they cannot see what you have filed. Um, nobody can see a provisional patent you filed. And so that I can tell you, they can't see a provisional patent you filed. Now your question is if you give them the number, it's not a patent number, it's a filing number, right? Could they get access to it? I don't even know if if you gave them the number and said, I need this back, it's me, and pretended to be that person, would they even give it to you? I don't know. Maybe it's theoretically possible. I've never seen it. Um, I wouldn't be worried about it. Um, but they, I, and any company that is asking you for a patent number and nothing else on their submission portal, they're absolute idiots. That's just, they're wasting their time. They're wasting your time. And it's almost like saying, I'm not interested in your ideas because that's just stupid. Any company that expects you to have a patent license, that's also completely idiotic. Patent pending, a provisional fine, but to say we'll only accept ideas from uh, people that have issued patents, that means you have to file a patent, wait one to three years for it to issue, and then show it to companies and spend all that money. They are not interested in your idea if they say that. That's just a red flag like big time. So um, I, Marcus, I don't know 100% for sure. I've never tried it, of course. But if I got a provisional patent number, I pretended to be somebody else. Could I get access to it? Can they just type it in and see it? I'm 99.9% .9 sure no, if they have the provisional patent um, number, 99.99% .99 sure they can't. They, I know for sure that companies cannot access um, a provisional patent, which is great. They don't know what protection you have or don't have. I know that for sure. But if you gave them the number and they did something unethical, could they gain access to it? I don't know 100% for sure. 
but it's not something I would worry about for two seconds. Um, uh, Tiger fan. Hi, Andrew. I sent a contract in error with a company to help with prototyping and slash manufacturing contracts. I can terminate the contract, but should I renew my provisional patent prior to termination? I don't know. Why, why are you even concerned about it? I mean, so if you signed up with a company to do prototyping slash manufacturing contacts, I mean, it sounds like you're worried that this company isn't ethical and that if you don't renew your provisional, that they'll steal it. Um, I, I think it's a good idea to renew your provisional anyway. If you're going to start reaching out on your own to license it, I think it would be in, and your provisional is expired, I go ahead and do it anyway. And I put them on notice. You renewed your provisional and you're going to continue to pursue it, but you no longer need their services. So that's what I would do. I don't have all the information, but with what you gave me, that's what I would do. Um, Tony, are cell sheets typically in a PDF format? What is the best way to embed a video link into a cell sheet? So anybody that knows how to use, um, create a PDF, um, what our students typically do is they'll Sometimes they'll go as far as to make a little video image, like a still shot where it makes it look like it's like a little player. You know, you just take a, if you take a screenshot of YouTube while, you know, while it's playing, you would have that screenshot and then you could put that in there and make it look like a link. Most of our students don't do that. It's really important that they watch the video. You can do that, but you can just say, watch the video and you just have some text, watch the video and then they'll click on it. And then it will link to YouTube. You want it to be not a public YouTube, not a private YouTube, but an unlisted YouTube. With a private YouTube, you need the YouTube username. That's not going to work. With a public, you never want to make your invention public um, when you're licensing it, unless you've been venturing it and selling it prior already. Um, but with a unlisted video, it's essentially like a password. Only people with that cell sheet that can click on that link will be able to see it. Nobody can search for it. Nobody can find it. So usually it's just a couple words um, and it will say, watch the video, you know, or check out the video. And if people go really far, they'll make a little clip where it looks like a video player. And then it also says, click here to watch the video. i um, seen students do it both ways. Our graphic design department does it for our students. Um, Uh, Tony said, regarding LinkedIn, I am a charter bus driver. If I don't have a professional career of interest to manufacturers, would they even bother adding me or looking at a message from me? That's not a problem at all. You can say you can say charter bus driver and product developer. It's okay. It's okay to be who you are. Um, they, it's not, you know, whenever I have students in other countries, they're more concerned about this. In the United States, and I've found this over 22 years of doing InventRight, they don't care. They just want you to be easy enough to work with. If the product is good, they I don't think they'll take a look at your profile if it says charter bus driver and product developer and go, oh, no, we're not going to talk to him because he's a bus driver. I've never seen that happen. I Now, one thing that I would say with the LinkedIn profile, if you don't have your picture up there, it looks very unprofessional. Right. Or if you have a very unprofessional LinkedIn's for professionals, you don't post a ridiculous picture. I've seen some very unprofessional pictures on LinkedIn. Don't do that. Have your title filled out so that it looks professional and a little bit of info on your background. And you could put in there as part of your profile that you're you're a product developer. You can even go dates. You can put 
like the last three years, I'm a product developer. Maybe you're just getting started licensing it. Put it in there. You know, that's okay. If you've been working on your ideas and thinking about them, you could say you've been doing that the last three years. So, Tony, I would not worry about that for one second. Don't worry about that. It's, it's not going to hurt you. Um, let's see. Margie, hey, Andrew, do you recommend that we connect with all the product managers or marketing managers of our target company before sending a message asking if we can send our marketing materials? Well, yeah, I mean, you would have to. So the process is, you know, you, you click the connect button on these people at these companies you want to connect to. And you don't sit and wait and stare at your screen. You go do other stuff. And some of them will add you. Some of them won't. And the ones that do, then you have, are connected so you can send them a message. You don't send them that message in with the, when you click the connection button. You don't send a custom connection request. You know, that's like saying, I'm giving you a bunch. Of, I want to be part of your network. I'm going to give you, I ask a whole bunch of stuff. You know, try to just connect with them first. That's what we teach our students. Click the connect button. Don't write anything custom. Um, when I go in mine, I just click connect, 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 connect. And I'm like, oh, crap. I, somebody sent me a message. Now, I don't feel that way because of our business that we're in. But a marketing manager might. Now you're giving them work to do. Just connect first. You're part of the network. Now you're connected. Now you can go back and forth. You're going to be more likely to have success that way. If you ask for stuff, when you click that connect button, don't do that. We haven't found that to be a so that's a huge one. If you're not doing it, do it that way. Okay. Um, Richard said, when it comes to making a list of companies to call, I'm having trouble understanding that. Are there more than one list? Are there more than one list from my understanding? No, I, I don't know what you mean by that. Are there more than one list from my understanding? Um, when it comes to making list of companies to call. I'm not sure. Richard, if you could expand on that, that would be great. If you're still here, please expand on that. I'll come back to it. Uh, Paul said, hi, Andrew, is a licensing agreement different with a company that isn't in the U.S.? No, not really. The terms are the terms. I haven't had any issues yet. Plenty of students license the companies overseas. Um, you know, a, a contract is only as good as the, the company that signs it, right? Um, so, but here's, here's the deal. If I don't care if it's a German company or Australian company or Asian company, but if they're really big here in the U S they have an office here and they're obligated to, um, pay attention and follow U S laws, right? If they're selling in the U S. So the only scenario in which I think what you're hinting at is that it might be an issue. Let's say they only sell in Germany or something like that. Right. And, you know, you're going to do a contract, same terms. Is every aspect of that licensing contract enforceable in Germany? Maybe, maybe not. But it's, it, is it really that important? I mean, it's not that often that you are going to do a deal with a company that's only selling overseas. Most of the companies our students deal, deal with are is selling in the U.S. and Canada and selling overseas. And I haven't had a single one of our students that did a deal with an over. It's getting, let's get to the, the, the core of what you're talking about. I haven't had a single student that did deals that are overseas. We have students that do those deals and it's just overseas and they're not selling in the U.S. They don't have offices here. And they're like, oh, you know, it didn't it didn't work. We couldn't get the contract done, you know, or I couldn't enforce it. They're screwing me like I don't hear that. So I don't think it's something to be concerned about. Um, but for the most part, if they're in the U.S. and and 
overseas. And they'll let you know, their attorney will let you know if they have issue with part of it. I've never seen an agreement that wasn't personally. I didn't talk to our negotiation coach, Paul, that wasn't in English. It's always been in English. So I, I really don't see that as being a big, a big, a big problem. Um, let's see. Leon Davis. So hello, I'm in the boot camp. We don't call it boot camp anymore. call it premium. Can I send you my sell sheet? Well, um, Leon, I mean, what you should do, you yes, you can send it to me, but if you're a current student, um, copy your coach or tell me what your coach said. Always show it to your coach first. And then if you if you wanted to, I, I'll be happy to give you my 10 two cents too, but make sure you've worked on with your coach first. Now, if you've already done that and you want to send it to me, you can go ahead and send it to me, but also, but always copy your coach. Occasionally I'll get students that try to go, uh, like they just want to get a separate opinion. And I'm like, well, the coach helped you do all the research and everything. They're in deep with it. I can give you my knee jerk reaction, but um, you need to see uh, what, you know, I want to know what your, your coach said. And I want to know all that research and everything you did with your coach. Um, Mike said, how do I get my product over to the company by sending it in a package to them, question mark. If I did that with every company, won't that be costly? Yeah, you're not going to do that, Mike, um, right? How can I get around this? Well, you don't, Mike. You don't do that. So you're going to send them a sell sheet and or a video sell sheet. Prototypes don't sell. They just don't. Sell sheets do. Video sell sheets sell. So you want to send them a sell sheet. And then if they show interest and they say, oh, send me the prototype, you're not going to do that. You're going to get on the phone with them. Not because you don't want to send them a prototype, but because that doesn't move the deal forward. So there's a right point in time to send a prototype, and it varies with every deal, but it's definitely never, ever, this will be helpful to you guys, before you've talked to them on the phone. When they take the time to talk to you on the phone or on Zoom or something after showing interest, after seeing your sell sheet or, or video, that might be the right time. But... But even then, it might not be. You know, a lot of times companies will ask you for something and our, your coach or our negotiation coach will help the student, the event rights student, interpret it. And they're like, yeah, they say that all the time. They don't mean that. Half. They're just trying to get the conversation going. Let's go this direction. You know, so we see those patterns. So, yeah, you, you don't want to be sending your one prototype or your product or whatever to every company that shows a little bit of interest. And you definitely don't send it to all of them to see if they're interested because it doesn't sell. Prototypes don't sell. Sell sheets. You show them how they're going to market a sell sheet or a video sell sheet. Um, uh, then an, another person, long handle, MRG, and then a whole bunch of numbers. What software do you recommend for creating a sell sheet? I don't. Um, back in the early days, um, we used to guide our students to do their own sell sheets because we've been doing this 22 years, guys. And back in the day, sometimes it'd be like a thousand, two thousand dollars to hire a graphic designer. That's not true anymore at all. Um, and I think we did our students a disservice back way, way back in the day. So now our coaches will work with our students on what the benefit statement is, the bullet points, the pictures, and the student will cobble it together, not what they're going to send what they're going to send the, our graphic designers that will make it beautiful and pretty. So um, I don't recommend you do your own sell sheets. You know, 
these are so some people are graphic designers and they make things beautiful, but they suck at marketing. If you're a graphic designer, but you're not good at marketing, I still wouldn't do your own sell sheet. Now, if you're an incredible marketer and an incredible graphic designer and you do that full time, okay, maybe, but that's not 99% of you guys. You shouldn't be trying to hack together a sell sheet in Microsoft Word or or whatever. And even if, even if you're like, well, I know a little Photoshop, a little Illustrator. Well, you know a little Photoshop, a little Illustrator. Are you a graphic designer? You know, it's not going to be nearly as good as a graphic designer. And that's not that expensive these days. Now, what is more expensive, which we do for our students, which we do very cost effectively, is virtual prototypes. So, you know, sometimes that's part of a sell sheet, too, if you can't make a prototype. But um, just because you're good at graphics doesn't mean you're good at marketing. And just because you're good at marketing doesn't mean you should be doing graphic design. So we, we don't want our students doing their own sell sheets. We feel like that that hurts their success and, quite frankly, our success. Because the more of our students that license products, the more we can talk about it. And if you look at our testimonial page, it just goes on and on and on. And that's just a fraction of the people. We actually took them down because it wasn't, it wasn't loading. We took a bunch of the older ones down because it wasn't loading because there were so many because we had some pictures up there and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, you could do it. You would always save it as a PDF. You could do it in Word. You could do it in Illustrator. You could do it in Photoshop. You do whatever. Should you be? Not, in my opinion. You should be doing the marketing. We guide our students to get good at the marketing so they can do their own marketing in the future and then always hire a graphic designer to, to make it pretty. Because don't count on graphic designers to do marketing for you because that's not what they do, you know. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. I really wouldn't. Uh, well, this is interesting. Richard said, when it comes to military veterans paying for the course, I discovered there's a program called VR&E, Veterans Readiness and Employment for Disabled Veterans. Um, you guys could look into that. Yeah, you know, we've been meeting to for a long time. We've had um, several uh, uh, employment departments from different states, I think maybe three different states, pay for people that are, they were unemployed, they're in a retraining program, and they and and they they mentioned it to us, and then we reached out and gave this employment departments what they needed, and, and we were able to get in those isolated incidents. I mean, it's probably been maybe four or five people over the last, you know, over that ever. Um, and we've been wanting to look into the military thing. It's not as easy as you think, um, but I'm going to copy what you wrote down. So I have that on my clipboard there. And I'll take a look at the VR and E. I've had some people in the military mention it. So people coming out of the military, they get to... And, and I don't think it necessarily needs to be like colleges and stuff. The military will pay for their retraining in this particular area. I have no idea what kind of hoops we need to jump through to do that. But we've been meaning to look at we've looked into it here and there. A little bit overwhelming. Maybe we can look in that a little bit more. So thank you, Richard. Um, if you have any info, you want to email me. You can email me at Andrew at InventRight. I, I think that's something we should be more aggressively pursuing. Um, cause I don't know, I, I'm maybe, I just think that what we do is great, but if we can empower vets to come out of the military and do licensing, I think that would be money very well spent by the military. Um, that's my bias. Though. Um, let's see. Uh, Alan says, 
I've been reaching out mostly on LinkedIn. I can't see company employees because I have a free version. No, you don't need a paid version. So I am unblocked from finding marketing people. The premium is way too much. What can I do? You don't, don't, none of our students, nor do we teach people to use the premium LinkedIn. We teach them to use the free one. You need to build your network, Alance. You need to build your network and then you'll be able to connect with those marketing managers. But to say you can't see it, you're doing something wrong. You can always see it. You just might not be, they might not be a second degree connection or third, and then you can connect with them. Um, but you're doing something wrong. You're, you're doing these searches and this happens to some people. And then you do a couple searches and it's prompting you to pay for premium. Well, if you clear your cache or you just use a different browser, there's a lot of different techniques. Um, then you'll be able to do that search again and won't recognize you and you can keep doing more searches. So, but you can look up the company name and all our students are able to do it just fine with the free version. You don't need to pay that whatever, $30, $90. I think it's up 90 or so a month for the um, LinkedIn premium. You don't need that. You're just not doing it right. Um, okay. Well, that, the next comment was really, really cool comment. Uh, I've, I've found LinkedIn for uh, dummies very helpful since I've never used LinkedIn. So Alance, that might be, might help you. And that is a series. We're not calling you a dummy. That is a series. Everybody knows it's a book series. So just being, just being silly there, but just in case you didn't, I wouldn't want you to be offended. Um, zero cost compliance. That's an interesting handle. I've gone all the way to having a functional working production version. It's usually not necessary to license, um, but as, as well as a provisional patent, are there any services that, that can help find distributors for your product? So you're in the wrong place if you're looking for a distributor, but I think I can convince you to go a different way. You don't need a distributor. Now, if, if you want to, if you have the money, most people don't, and have the stick-to-itiveness and have, you know, you need, when you're venturing a product, which is a fancy way of saying make it and sell it yourself. So you got to, a provisional patent and a functional production version. Okay, great. Do you at least have two, three hundred thousand dollars? Because you can't launch pretty much any type of product without that kind of money. You know, making 50 and then selling it on Etsy, that's not really a launch, right? So you need a lot of money to launch a product. That's just like so our other co-founder, he did these little guitar picks and they were six cents a piece to manufacture, sold them in a three-pack for three dollars. And they started the business with $200,000. And once they started getting orders, that wasn't enough. On a six-cent product, people have no freaking idea what it takes to venture a product. The cash flow goes out and it doesn't come back. So you need a, a large bankroll to be able to do that. So um, I can't help you find distributors. But what I can do is something better. I can do, we can guide you to license. So if you keep watching our channel, you license, you don't need to raise money. You don't need a distributor. You're going to find it all in one place. So when you license to a, a manufacturer that sells at the retailers where you want to be, they're your distributor, essentially. They're going to use their money, their workforce, and their distribution. You don't need to find a distributor. Now, there's nothing wrong with making a product and selling it yourself, but be honest with yourself. I'm really going to take. You can't just be excited about your product. You need to be excited about running the business, okay? And that's nothing to do with the product, almost. I'm exaggerating to make a point there. You know, you have to be equally excited about running the business. Workman's comp, you know, employees and all that stuff, hiring people that don't perform or do. You need to be really into that stuff. 
you're not really into that and you don't have 50 or 60 hours a week, it's not going to work. So your other option is the license, which is what this channel is all about. So I, I can't help you find distributors. That's not what we do. We help you find manufacturers that will it'll be their money, their workforce, and their distribution. You don't need a distributor. They're, they're in 30,000 stores already. Usually that's better or however, wherever they are, right, for the company you reach out to. So they're the ultimate distributor, and they will run the business too. Um, but that's not – some people would do want to manufacture. So there's nothing wrong with that. But most people, when you get into it and you explain the difference between licensing and venturing and selling yourself, they're like, oh, no, I want to license. And a percentage of people want to venture. And then I look at it and I point out, like, what they really need to do. They're like, I don't want to do all that. I'm like, well, that's what you're going to have to do. And then, and then you're left with a very small percentage that are like, no, I'm ready to do it. Some people – wanted to sell the idea themselves because they didn't realize licensing existed. So um, zero cost compliance is your handle. Um, watch our YouTube show and understand a little bit more about licensing and get our book, One Simple Idea, and see if it's right for you. It might not be. You might want to still manufacture it yourself. But, um, you know, distributors don't really like to take on one SKU, one product companies. You're paying their butt. But if you license to a big company, the retailers, they love those companies that got 10, 20, 50 one of our coaches licensed to a company has 9,000 products, you know, but they don't really want to deal with you because they're worried you're not going to deliver on time, quality control issues. Um, and you just, you're just going to go belly up and you're going to leave them. And they also want people that are promoting the product distributors. Um, but if you license it to a manufacturer that sells to a retailer, they're going to do all that. Okay. So that's just some food for thought. Maybe some of you were also thinking about, selling it yourself instead of licensing it. So hopefully that was helpful to others as well. Um, uh, Margie said, thanks for the answer, Andrew. So if I don't get an acceptance of my connect request, do I try emailing or calling instead of going through LinkedIn? Sure, sure. And But you're more likely to get a connection if you don't send this long rambling question or any question. Just click connect. But yeah, you could, you could uh, reach out to them on the phone or via email if they don't connect on with you on LinkedIn, okay? After a period of time, I think you can go in the system, you can rescind the connection, and you can try to make a new connection, I believe, after a period of time. Our LinkedIn for licensing expert, Ben, who teaches our students about LinkedIn, he could uh, tell you for sure. I, I just forget the specifics on how that works. Um, never done it myself. Um, Tony said, thanks for answering our questions, Andrew. We appreciate you lending us your time and expert expertise. You're welcome, Tony. Uh, Miss V said, hi, Andrew. Can a sell sheet be made from a drawing of a product or would you need an actual photo? Um, we do a lot of virtual renderings for our students where the products look real. Um, if it's not a good enough drawing, like you wouldn't see this really like uh, – rough sketched out drawing in a marketing piece, would you? Have you ever seen an advertisement for a kitchen gadget, an automotive product, whatever it is, and it's a sketch? Not really. So it, it, it's, it doesn't make a good impression. I've seen some people try to use like, well, these are, if you're new, this is very helpful. Um, you don't, if let's say you got a patent or you filed a PPA, you don't send that as a sales tool ever. And you definitely don't take a, a, a patent drawing and put it in your marketing materials ever. It looks ridiculous. 
that's not how you market a product. It's, it's, it's not. So, um, you know, if it could be a, a really nice drawing, like sometimes when our students work on um, toy products or games or things like that, that could be a drawing and colorize and stuff like that. Sure. Um, and if it's, if it's a, a kitchen gadget, for example, uh, a little less common. It's really better to do a virtual prototype where it looks really real so people aren't distracted. And we do those for our students. We do them for the public, too. Um, so I can't say without looking at it, but usually a drawing is going to look unprofessional for the most part, um, unless it's a toy or a board game or something and it's colorized and stuff. But if it's just like a, a line drawing, not, not a good marketing tool. Uh, prolific invention. I had three ideas today. Yes. Okay. You're living up to your name. Uh, two of them <laughs> inventions and one, a new type of car wash business. Yeah. You know, so licensing, I, I like that you, you mentioned that because um, you mentioned some other things. Um, I like that you mentioned that because when you're licensing, you want to tap into what's already there. To try to license something and get them to start a whole new business is not really the best approach when you're trying to license. If a company sells kitchen gadgets, they have 80 kitchen gadgets in their product line, approach them. And they, oh, damn, they're in Walmart and Target and Bed Bath and Beyond. Okay, well, if you license to them, they do kitchen gadgets. You have a kitchen gadget. They're going to plug it in their product line. That's what they already do. They sell kitchen gadgets. They have distribution in these stores where they sell that type of product, right? But when you're pitching um, something like a new type of car wash business, well, what are you looking at there? Now, if there was a company selling um the, i i use automated car washes i for a while there i'm like oh this is like a new car we're gonna wash it by hand and after a while i'm like screw it <laughs> you know so i use automated car washes because they are more likely to scratch your car but and i've been to different ones they have machines right so they have machines that 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 wash your car so if your idea would involve a new aspect of that machine you can license that new machinery our new aspect of that of car wash machines to a car wash machine manufacturer, right? So sometimes you have a service or something like that, but you always want to look at who's selling this type of product already. That's who I'm going to license to. Does this make sense? You're not trying to convince them to start a new business because if they, so you had a car wash business. Okay. Is that a, is it a business idea? Now, if it was a new machine aspect, well, there's a bunch of companies making car wash machines, right? You could license to them. Okay, good. But if it's a new business where you're like, it's like a whole new business model and it doesn't involve the machine or something like that. Well, who are you going to sell that to? You know, are you going to sell it to individual car wash owners? Is there a franchise with car wash businesses? And you're like, and they franchise that and you could license them this possibly, possibly. But you want to, the, the, the core, what I'm trying to get at here, which is, going to be helpful to all of you, even more experienced ones of you, you want to tap into, these are the keywords, tap into what is already there. Don't ask them to start a whole new business. I'll give you another example. I had a student a while back, I think I shared this before, and, and they got interest from a company and they're like, I want, to, I want to tell them that they need to monogram these. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? They're like, oh, they should monogram each one. I'm like, the company you're looking at here, they sell at Walmart. And I looked at their website. They do mass market. They're not going to like, 
oh, but I think they should, there should be an option where they're going to monogram each one. I'm like, that's not what they do. Don't do that. Don't even bring it up. Don't. It's not what they do. It's not, that's not the type of district. And so what it don't, don't take it wrong. You know, everybody's like, well, they don't do a product like mine. Mine's a new invention. Great. But it fits in the product line, but to tell them they need to distribute the product in an entirely different way. No, they sell at Walmart. They're going to sell at Walmart to tell them they don't do any custom. Like there are businesses that do one-offs. Like they literally make each one as it's ordered. Okay. But don't tell them they should change their distribution model and the entire way they manufacture something by saying that you should monogram each one. Okay. That's just not what they do. So hopefully that that's helpful. Um, let's see. Uh, Roaming tortoise, which I think was Marcus, right? Was that Marcus? Let's see. Sorry. I don't want to call you by name, but just put your, yeah, that was Marcus. I should know by now. Marcus has been attending for a long time. Um, let me, now I paged up and down. Now I lost my place. Uh, let's see. Sorry, guys. I'm trying not to page up or down. Um, Marcus says, if you have your claims in your PPA or granted on a patent, does the company have to produce the product that utilizes all of the claims? Hell no. No. So if so, what he's saying, if your claim or PPA, if you have claims in your PPA granted on a patent, does the company have to produce the product that utilizes all the claims? No, of course not. No, 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 they don't. They're going to, it's not about patents, guys. It's about the product. And so they're going to manufacture whatever the hell they think is going to sell. And if that it just covers a few of your claims, but not others, you should say, go for it. Whatever, whatever they think is going to sell and they're going to pay you a royalty on. No, that would be, that would be ridiculous if you had to, if you insisted a company like do another version, because you're going to throw some claims in there that may or may not be as desirable that you'll get. So to say you got to do the product different, that's not going to sell as well in order to do the claims I filed in my patent or provisional, doesn't make any sense. Um, so it was a good question. If that was on your mind, Marcus, and that was bothering you, I'm glad you you asked it. But no, you just want to students license stuff all the time. And, you know, they file provisionals. And then the company's like, uh, yeah, we don't care about patents. We'll pay you regardless. They don't say it that way. But they're like, no, we don't want to pay for a patent, but we'll still pay you royalties under the agreement. And so it's it's not all dependent on patents, guys. Some companies, it's really important. Some companies, it's not. Uh, prolific invention. One of my inventions is an alternative technology that solves the problem of burn pits in war zones. Wow, that sounds crazy. Uh, which is directly attributed to many illnesses and deaths through toxic smoke inhalation. I don't know what a burn pit in a war zone is, and I'm glad I don't, I think. Um, maybe some of those, you know, that are in the military might. But his invention is an alternative technology that solves that problem. Okay. So this one's pretty simple, prolific invention is their handle. Um, you're going to license to military contractors that sell products or solutions to the military. That's who you're going to license to there. People go, oh, I, I don't know how to approach the military. I'm like, well, you're not. You know, you can if you want to do that too, and you can get interest and then work with one of the contractors. But really, the best way to do this is to license to a contractor that can then show it to the military. Um, it's just the same as regular licensing. You don't license to a retailer. 
you license to the manufacturer that sells to the retailer, right? Same here. You don't license to the military. You license to the manufacturer that sells to the military. You think of the military as the retailer kind of a little bit. So, um, so that's how you'd handle that. Yeah, hopefully that was helpful. You didn't even ask a question, but I, I gave you an answer because I, I think that's where a lot of people go wrong with the military stuff. Uh, oh, Jose, hey, Andrew, can you tell me the contact information for you are Damien, but it's Damon, uh, Kali, not Kelly. Uh, the patent attorney has appeared in some of our videos. Yeah, I haven't done a video with Damon in eons. Um, he moved and um, he, he's still in California. It's a different place in California. Still a patent attorney. Um, if you type in Damon Colley, D-A-M-O-N-K-A-L-I, and patent attorney, you should be able to just Google him and, and find him um, on the Internet. But you can email me at Andrew Invent, right? And I'll look up his contact in for you. For you, for you. He's, a good, he's a good dude. Um, uh, Mike said, if the company asks me how the product is made, can I tell them? Hell yeah, sure you can. <laughs> you know, it depends where you are in the negotiation. If you got some little trade secret or something where they're kind of confused about how it's made. Now, if you know how it's made, great. A lot of our students don't know exactly how the product will be made, but they can look at similar products. And go, well, that's made and that's made. And then I just changed this. And they're like, oh, we're satisfied where they were asking for a prototype. They're asking for this and that. So it's really common that companies will ask their students for things and will be like, why don't you just tell them this? And the company's like, oh, yeah, we're good. And the student would have spun their wheels if they didn't have us advising them on spending all this money and all this time going down a rabbit hole. Um, so uh, zero cost compliance said, okay, thank you for the insight. I really appreciate it. I'll look into licensing. Great, cool. Um, if you really want to get up to running really fast, get our book, One Simple Idea. Um, if you go to inventright.com and you click on resources and then books, you'll find it. Um, but I, I visit our site, inventright.com, and go on the, the resources page. Um, uh, prolific invention. Is it ever a good idea to just sell a product without licensing or patenting? When would be a good idea, for example? It's not. It's an absolutely horrendous idea. And I think a lot of inventors make this mistake. They say things like, I want to sell you my patent. Or, you don't have a patent, I want to sell you my idea. You will never, ever be paid what the product is worth as a buyout. Okay? There are always exceptions. But don't think you're the exception. You're probably not. Um, you'll always get paid more. Get, getting paid royalties quarterly because you only have they only have to pay you once they start selling and the volume some of these companies can do is really crazy big to ask them to give you up front let's say oh give me fifty thousand up front give me a hundred thousand up front well they're a big company they can afford it they won't never do it okay and if if they did do it let's say fifty thousand you're probably screwing yourself on something you could earn two hundred fifty thousand over time I'm just making up numbers here um Imagine you go to a company and they say, you're basically saying you're investing tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the product, and doing all the work, all employees, taking all the risk. You made a penny yet, and I want you to give me this money up front. Buy my idea. Even the, the bigger the company gets, the worse it is. 
Oh, they're really big. They can afford that, Andrew. Yeah, because they're not stupid. They don't want to take that risk. So don't even go that direction. Now, if you've been venturing the product, let's say selling the product for years, and you know you've you've got ten thousand customers, you know, or you have you're in ten thousand stores and all. Okay, there's you know, you may do a buyout of the company plus a royalty. Okay, that's fine. But our students all day long license a product without having sold a single one. Um, and you want to not front load the deal. You want to back load the deal. As they make money, you make money. So, um, but you were asking in which case that might be right. If you, and don't think this is a good idea, but if you have been running a business for three or four years or something, and you've built up all these customers, inventory, all this stuff, and they want to license it and you're no longer going to sell it, okay, there's going to be some sort of buyout. So that's the situation you ask in which it makes sense. They're going to buy out plus a, a licensing deal. Because again, I don't think they'll pay you what it's worth uh, short run, but they'll pay you what it's worth long run. Okay. Um, so you guys can make it up in your head that you think it's a good idea. I just want to sell my invention. First of all, you won't do the deal. And if you did, it would be for some abysmally small amount. And you'd just be screwing yourself. You might, might earn that same amount of money in one quarter. Okay. Um, and when companies approach it, I always go back to, no, I want to do a licensing deal. And if they really, really insist and you've collected all the data, you can give them the royalty rate. Here's the minimum guarantees, the royalty. Um, and since you've insisted, I will give you a buyout figure. You can give them some ridiculous figure. But I, I don't think that makes sense. Why don't you just pay me as you go? Here's the deal. And in that case, you could present them with both, but only if they insist. And don't even take it down that path. You're taking it down a path where you're going to screw yourself because then they're going to talk and they're like, we're not doing that. And then that could easily kill the deal. Uh, Leon said, hey, Andrew, I was supposed to go to the toy show in Dallas, but it's not open to the public. Do you know any more shows that are coming up? Um, two of our coaches are going to be at that show, um, Martin and April. So a lot of times with the trade shows, you need to know how to work it. You need to look at the registration, figure out how to do it so you can get in. All right. I mean, that's how a lot of people felt about the Super Zoo show, but I had um, uh, one of our students get in the Super Zoo show just fine. I got in under media. But, um, you know, so two of our coaches are getting in. How did they do it? Leon, I think you just need to take a closer look at that, at the criteria, and, and try to figure out how to get in there. Uh, Lewis says, hi, Andrew, is it worth patenting a method I have a product idea for a problem where they there are currently no other products in the micro category. Um, okay. I don't know what you mean by a method. You know, it could be a method of doing business. It could be a um, method of manufacturing. Those things can be very powerful. Method of manufacturing, if you understand how it rolls off the line, which most of you guys don't, most of you guys don't need to, that could be additional protection. Um, but... You say there's no other products in the micro category. I, I, people say that. I never believe it. Whenever people tell me that and they tell me what it is, I'm like, no, it could be here or here or here. And these are the companies. Um, uh, but anyway, so that's a separate issue. But um, I can't tell you. Yeah, sometimes it's definitely worth Lewis patenting a, a, a method. And that's not a type of patent, guys. Still a utility patent. But it's like a method of manufacturing. This is the way it rolls off the machinery or a method of doing business, like the way your 
painting a house. That's probably not the greatest example, but using machinery or something to paint a house a certain way, those are kind of harder. But the method of manufacturing is pretty solid. So I can't say without looking at your your um, at your product. Um, I'll kind of call bullshit on nothing else being in the micro category. Not really bullshit, but just like it's the way you look at it. And I've been doing licensing for a very long time, so I can look at it and go, well, you know, and sometimes you might be right. No, here's your micro. I might redefine your micro category. And, you know, there's there's still people here um, in this category. Maybe they're providing a product that offers a similar, not the same benefit, and they're there. So um, it's almost never do I get somebody there's there's like, well, like there's nothing like it. there's nothing I'm like there's good there's nothing like it but these things are adjacent you should reach out to these companies you know um, prolific inventions thank you so much for answering this excellent information um, I, Eva is asking about a particular invention promotion company I can't answer that um, I, I I don't make comments about other companies I can only speak uh, generally from my personal experience. I've never met an inventor that has ever had an invention promotion company to license a product for them. Look at our testimonial page. Our students are licensing stuff all the time. It's because we make them do the work because they want to do the work and we guide them to do the work and they do licensing deals. But over the 22 years I've been doing InventRight, I've never talked to an inventor personally ever that has had an invention promotion company license a product for them. But what we do talk to, me personally and Slovia and Dana that are in sales, we talked to somebody that spent 10 or 12 grand. It's like a year later or it happened 10 years ago. But and they're like, oh, nobody was interested. And I just never see it happen. I don't know exactly. I can't say about any particular company what these companies are doing or not doing. But I don't see the deals happening. Um, so I can't comment about any particular company. Ever. We have a policy at our company never to um, say things about individuals or people and whenever you run a business just a bit of a tip that's always a good thing because it'll come back and bite you in the butt um so we never so if anybody ever tells me oh you said this i'm like no we didn't because we would never say anything about another company in particular so i'm just speaking generically um let's see okay this is miss tish I'm the lady revamping a product that I've been using for 21 years. I've done it uh, for two different ways, tried them out and recorded both times. Do I reach out to the medical device company? Um, Tish, I don't, I don't have enough information to know, you know exactly what you need to do. I don't know your product. Um, I don't know if medical device companies are right or not. Um, it sounds like you kind of made what you believe to be a video presentation. Um, I don't know if that's good. Reaching out to a bunch of companies, um, if you don't have a good presentation, it could be a giant waste of time reaching out to the right companies, how you reach out to them. We use LinkedIn, email, and the phone. Those are the three ways that we use and we guide our students to do. So I, I can't tell you if you're ready yet. But yeah, you do reach out. If you've got a medical device, you'd reach out to medical device companies, yes. Um, Uh, Arturo, how much is your program and is there more than one program? So I would say 90% of people sign up with our premium program. That's one-on-one -on -one coaching. It involves a ton. I, if I start telling you everything that it, you get with it, I'm going to sound like I'm giving a sales pitch, so I'm not going to do that. 
Um, that's about $3,500, which you can pay over one payment, six or six months or 12 months. It really, payment really gets kind of nice and low when you make it over 12 months, but includes a ton, virtual prototype, sell sheet, access to a coach for half a year, access to our alumni program for another half a year, and um, access to our negotiation coach and a ton of other stuff, our LinkedIn program. Again, I'm going to sound like I'm giving a sales pitch if I go into all of it. And then we got our academy group coaching program, which is around $1,400 or so. Um, and that's group coaching. Um, can't share the specifics of your invention because you're in a group, but you also get three coaching calls with that for the specifics. Is that the same as the premium where you're getting every single week, you're talking to your coach on video chat or phone, and then they can answer questions via email all, every day? Um, you know, whenever you need them. No, it's not the same, but a lot of people like the Academy program too. Um, so those are our two main, main programs. We also have a kickstart program at a lower price point where you can get a 90 minute kickstart. And if you, I've never had somebody that didn't say that was awesome. I would say we're running at about 50% of the people who do that will sign up for the full program if for premium, not Academy. And that gets credited, the amount you paid for that kickstart towards the full program. But the other half that didn't, it's not a tease. People are like, that rocked. That was great. I got a lot out of it out of 90 minutes. And that's at a lower lower price point. You'll see it on our website there. Um, kickstart evaluation program. A lot of you are looking to get your products evaluated. And so that's nice. And we'll credit that amount you paid for that, even if you sign up two years later for InventRight. So that's kind of cool. Um, but it's not a tease. It's like we really kick butt there. On giving a lot out of 90 minutes. 90 minutes is a pretty long time. Um, uh, and Miss V said, does InventRight offer a course solely to help inventors seal their deal? Yes, you can you can come on and you can do the it's kind of expensive. It's a lot cheaper to go the other way. You can do our negotiations month to month at $6.99 a month. Here's the deal. I get people all the time interested in the program. And they say, oh, you know, I'll, I'll just use your negotiation coach when I get a deal. And guess what? I never hear back from them because they don't do the right things to get to a deal. People think they know, but they don't know. It, that's really dicey. Um, even that first call, you, you got to do that just right when you, when you get initial interest. But most people don't even get there that aren't an invent right because they don't do and say the right things to get a deal on the table. Their sell sheet's no good. They're not approaching companies right. They're not following up right. They're just doing so many things wrong. So I say sure to those people. Yeah, you can come back. We'll help you with the negotiation. We'll be there for you for that. But I get people telling me that all the time. I never hear from them again. So and it's, it's crazy. Like you know, a fair amount of people tell me. And I, I always tell them that story I just told you. So don't undervalue the help to get to a deal. Um, that's really, really important. Okay. Uh, Dapper Dean said, we're hitting the hour, so I'll make this the last one. Um, if I didn't answer your question, if you just come in earlier next Monday and ask your question uh, at the top of the hour, then I, can, I can't get to everybody. I, I can do an hour, guys. An hour is a lot of, of straight Q&A. Where does your clause go when you get a deal with the company, the part where you force them to have a minimum sold so you get somewhat paid instead of having your product shelved? Yeah, the minimum guarantee isn't really about getting somewhat paid. It's it's more about them not licensing it, sitting on it, and doing nothing with it. Because what company wants to pay you royalties on product they're not selling, or if they're doing abysmally poor with it, 
they don't want to keep paying you royalties. So it gives you a right to take it back if they don't meet those minimums that they have to pay you. So, um, yeah, I mean, what, the part, yeah, it's it's just a clause in the contract. It's, it's, it concerns minimum guarantees. There's a ton of other clauses in a licensing contract, too. Our negotiation scope coach helps our students through all that. Um, but, yeah, there's a clause in there that, and it's usually a fraction. We like to set it up as a fraction of when you interview them about what they said they could sell or what you're guessing. And so if they kind of balk at it, well, that's a fraction of what you said you could sell. Like, you're not even going to hang on to it if you're not making that. And you you have to have an out. There are some other options if they really beat you up about the minimum guarantees. But usually we, we hold pretty strong on that. If they're not performing, you need something to get it back. I've talked to inventors that aren't part of InventRight, and they tell me they sign deals they can't get out of. I'm like, why'd you do that? You always have to be able to get out of it. And if they're not willing to do that, you don't know how to negotiate because they're the way we frame it always at InventRight with our negotiation coach and when he's helping our students, they can't argue it. And if they do, they're completely unreasonable. They'll argue it. Actually, a good percentage of companies, they'll initially argue about the minimum and then you kind of throw it back at them and you make show it to them, show them they're being unreasonable. And they're like, well, OK, but lower. And they always agree. Um, and if they don't, we have some alternative techniques that will still ensure they perform if they're just freaking out about the minimums. Um, but there's a lot of ways of handling that. But the minimums is, is and there's other clauses in the contract they need to meet, too. You know. Um, all right. So good deal, guys. Um, oh, check out inventright.com. Go to inventright.com. Check out our free resources. Um, I'll just type in inventright.com just in case you guys don't know. Check out our free resources page on there. Um, tons of free resources. I'd sign up for that webinar series too. You'll see on the free resources page. And if you guys need some help, we were talking about the coaching earlier. Uh, click on the contact page. The only two people you'd be booking with is Sylvia or Dana. They're both super friendly. Even if you're not ready to sign up yet, but you're like, you know, I've been thinking about it. I just want to understand a little bit more how it works. I don't really know what invention coaching is. Um, book and talk to them. They won't hound you or anything like that. We're really, really chill. Um, feel free to talk to them about the program, okay? At the most, they do a friendly follow-up. That would be it. So I want to remind you guys to take care and keep inventing. And I'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye.